Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want to welcome everyone today, our guests. If you're a guest today, we're so glad to have you. We welcome you in this service. If this is your first or your second time with us, we invite you to stop by our welcome area in the back of the sanctuary. A small token of appreciation we'd like to give you for being with us today. If you're watching us online, wherever you're joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service and pray that you're blessed by it as well. Amen. If you're not standing and you're able to stand, you would please stand in honor of the man of God as we get ready to bring him to the pulpit. We had a great time at the University of Maryland Great Encounter last night. Great move of God. I think there was around four people at least that received the Holy Ghost. We are thankful for that. But also, I think, uh, I believe there was like seven different campuses represented in that service. And, sorry, I, I wasn't actually baiting you for an applause. I was processing. <laughs> and and, and part of, so part of the significance of last night, we are thankful. Sometimes I, I've, I've been... I, I, I'd like to think the Lord is dealing with me about this in several levels, several reasons. But I think sometimes we underestimate the significance of things that God does because we go by things that we can measure. And there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that. But I believe that also the significance of last night was there are matches that got lit, that will then go back to other campuses. And this is really applicable to last night's message. I know a lot of you couldn't be there, but fires will be lit. So I'm thankful for those that got the Holy Ghost and other things that happened in that service, but I also believe that, that, that God is spreading some things as well. It's pretty amazing to stand be on a college campus and participate in knowing all of the stuff that goes on, whether it's the stuff that professors are communicating to the impressionable minds of the future of this country and other countries, or if it's behaviors and things that are taking place, to stand there in the presence of God and feel the same thing there that we feel here is absolutely awesome. So I just wanted to give you that good report. Brother Near ministered in that service last night. Very clear, specific word from God, and we are very excited to have him today. For those of you that may not have been here in the past or in the services in the past when he's been with us, Brother Near, um, I'm resisting corny jokes right now telling you he doesn't come from too far, but Brother Near does come from far. So, sorry, some of you don't have a last name that you've had to listen to corny jokes all your life. So every now and then it's nice to pay somebody back even if they never did anything to you. So, just feels good. I know, I'm sure for him, I don't have a new joke for his name any more than nobody has a new joke for my name. 
course, everybody that makes one up thinks they're probably the first one, correct? But anyway, we are so thankful to have him. One of the things that I appreciate about God connecting with us, and this won't last forever, but for right now at least, he is a young man. And I think it's extremely important for people to stand in this pulpit, not just from one single age or culture or gender. So I I want you young folks, especially today and tonight, I want you to be challenged and encouraged. I have no idea if he'll touch on, I don't know what, I know he'll share whatever God has given him, and in case it doesn't, fit in. I I just said it last Sunday morning in my message. I've been blessed to grow up in a great home, blessed with great parents, the founders of this church, blessed from what God has kept me from. But he comes from a different background. And I think all of those things are important so that you understand God doesn't just call certain kinds, but it's to whomsoever will. Praise God. So I'm thankful he's with us this weekend. And I believe that this morning that he's got a word from God for us and for some individuals. So I tell you what, why don't you do this as he comes, those of you that will. I want you just to lift your hands right now to the Lord. And I want you to tell God in your own words, your own way, God, I I want you to speak to me today. I want you to minister to me today. You know, God, my needs. You know what I have need of. You know how to meet my needs, so I open my heart and my spirit to you today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our voice together right now. Father, we love you in the name of Jesus. We acknowledge your presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Mm. Mm. There's already something working in this house right now. The Spirit of God is already moving in this house. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My, my, my. It's like it's already, it's already shifted. The church has already shifted. But the last couple of months, there's been transition, there's been change. It's like the gear has already been shifted, but now it's like finally there is traction that's beginning to take place. And there are things beginning to happen that are going to continue and carry on until he splits the clouds of glory. But I want to be a part of what God is doing. Amen. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, would you clap your hands for Jesus? Hallelujah. Would you lift your voice? Hallelujah. We lift you up, God. We acknowledge your moving. We acknowledge what you're doing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How many came with faith and anticipation today? And you believe God's going to meet us where we are and ready us for where we're going. Amen.
Amen. So thankful to be back here at the Antioch. It is one of my favorite places to be because I'm amongst friends. And uh, it's such a, a place you come. Some places you go, it's like trying to dig a dig a just a dig a dig a hole in a desert and trying to find water. But here it's just a river flowing. You just hop in. Amen. It's like some places you go, it's like a push lawnmower, and you got to really give it three or four goes at it. It might start up. Or, but here it's a riding long more. I just get on and just we'll see where the Holy Ghost goes. Amen. But it is it is good to be back here with uh, all of you and all that God is doing and is yet to do. I'm just uh, I'm privileged being such a young man, being able to grace this pulpit with such an, a church that has such visibility that God has set, like I've said before, as a crown, as a jewel and a crown of his body. Amen. And I'm glad that I get to be here. But my wife, like Pastor said, I didn't grow up in church. And I kind of came to this from a, a rough life and broken homes, abusive home. And when I came to God, God did stuff for me and He changed me and, and He, He let me know that there was, there was a love that I didn't know existed, that there was a reality that I could, I could live in that I didn't know was real. But my wife, she grew up in church. She was a pastor's granddaughter, and she told me of a song, and I might have shared it with you before. She told me of a song, and it goes something like this. Thank God I don't look like what I've been through. If you ain't got nothing to be thankful for, you can thank God that you don't look like what you've been through. Amen. Amen. I said that one church in Texas, when I said that one church in Texas, there's about 20 people there. And I tried, I was trying to get connected with the people so they could kind of trust the one who was going to be preaching the word so they might receive. So I, I say that little number right there. I, Thank God you don't look like what you've been through. And when I said it, everybody looked over to one side. They didn't laugh like y'all laughed. They turned to one side and they looked at one gentleman, had a scar down his face, had a glass eye, walked with a limp, had a half an arm and He'd look like what he'd been through. So that don't work all the time. But I think we're, well, you've, got a, you've got a pastor and pastor's family, Bishop Wright, Mother Wright, all the Wright family. They're a good-looking family. Amen. How many are thankful for your pastor, thankful for Bishop, thankful for the ministry, thankful for everything that God has blessed us with here at the Antioch? Amen. Well... I don't want to take too much time. You know we got to do all that. John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles and you're ready for the word of the Lord, if you'd open your Bibles to the gospel of John chapter 8. What a move. That's already moved into this house. There is healing. And, and I feel like God's given me something very specific for us and where we are to prepare us for where we're going and what God has for us. So if you'd open your hearts tonight and just or this morning and just kind of believe that God's going to speak to you, I believe that He will. All right? John chapter 8 and verses 56, starting, and then we'll just kind of go into chapter 9. 
skip around a little bit, but just try to follow along. I believe this, the writing's going to be on the wall. Amen. John chapter 8 and verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Everybody say, to see. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. Everybody say, he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Notice the focus is sight. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself or withdrew himself from sight. And went out of the temple going through the midst of them. And so passed by. But just because the chapter divides and we go into chapter 9. Don't think the thought stops because verse 1 of chapter 9 says... And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him or be seen clearly in him. And I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Hmm. But verse 18, to give more of a complete context, says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him. That he had been blind and received his sight until, everybody say until, until they called the parents of him that was born blind, that had received his sight. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? They had an argument. But he had an experience. And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means or what methods, by what means or methods he now seeth, we know not or what, who hath opened his eyes or who the man was or what, what, who was in the position to heal. Who was it? We, we know not. Here it is. He is of age ask him he shall speak for himself and verse 23 says therefore said his parents 
He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, He said, you can argue with the methods. You can argue with the man that God chose in the flesh of Jesus. You can argue about methods and you can argue about men. But all he knew was, I was blind. And now I see. This morning I'd like to preach to you on this subject. The coming of age. The coming of age. Of age, if you'd set your Bibles down and lift your hands and begin to pray with me, Father. We come to you right now asking, oh God, that you would release an anointing in this house to quicken us to the mind of the Spirit. Father, to understand what it is that you want us to understand, to know and to see what it is that you want us to see, oh God. Let the eye, the scales fall from our eyes so that we may see you in a light that we have never seen you and to know you in a way that we have never known you, oh God. I pray reveal to us that dispensation of grace that you've so graciously given us access to. I pray, Father, that you would bind every hindering spirit, whether human or demonic, and let there be a free flow of your spirit. Let your word go forth with free course. And we ask it all, Lord, in your blessed name. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. And I want you to bump your neighbor before you're seated. And I want you to tell him, act your age. Look at your other neighbor, tell him, grow up. Amen. And you may be seated if you so desire. The gospel of John is set apart from the rest of the gospels. Many theologians and scholars will consider the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke to be what they call the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning to see together. Because their gospels, they took similar viewpoints and vantages to see Jesus in a certain light and to relay certain stories that were similar all together painting a, a picture that would consider them to be the synoptic gospels. Being seen together, having similar witnesses, but it is the gospel of John that is set apart outside of the synoptic gospels. Because John, being the last living apostle, would be 60 years removed from Calvary. 60 years removed from the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So John being the last living apostle, 60 years removed from the cross in that upper room now, he is looking back at Calvary. He is looking back at the outpouring, looking back at what Jesus said and did in his earthly ministry. But John, 60 years removed being that last living 
apostle felt that it was his obligation to begin through a gospel that he would write to reiterate some of the most vital and some of the most crucial of all truths because by now there had been heresies begin to creep in and the church had begun to drift away from its original purpose and its original understandings of what Jesus said and did and taught and literally who Jesus was. So John thought it was his obligation and felt the need to write a gospel that would rehearse the very most vital of all truths. You can see this in the fact that where they began their gospels was different. Because you can look at the, at the gospel of Mark and you will realize that where he began his gospel, Mark began with the ministry of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus went down in the waters of Jordan and baptism came out, the Spirit came descending like a, like as of a dove. And then he was forced into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and then came out in the power of the Holy Ghost and began to minister amongst the people for three and a half years. So Mark, began with the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it is uh, it is uh, Luke that goes one step further back. It's Luke that began with the nativity of Jesus Christ. His birth in a Bethlehem major. Going back just a little bit further. So Mark began with the ministry. But Luke goes back a little bit further. And he begins at the nativity and the birth in a Bethlehem major. But it is Matthew in his gospel that he goes back even further and he goes all the way back to the lineage of Jesus Christ chasing it all the way back to Abraham and Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob Jacob begot Judas and his brethren and then Judas begot Zarah and Phares of Tamar and so on and so forth so you see that Matthew's gospel goes all the way back to Abraham and Jesus' lineage and bloodline being traced. So you see Mark's ministry began with the ministry of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Luke begins one step further back with the nativity and the birth in a Bethlehem manger. But Matthew going back to the ancestry and the lineage of Jesus Christ. But John's gospel is set apart because John didn't begin with the ministry the nativity, nor the ancestry. But John's gospel starts like this. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John's gospel did not want to miss anything. John's gospel was not going to leave anything or any room for error. So he goes to in the beginning, bypassing the ministry, the nativity, and the ancestry. John says... I'm not going to miss anything. He said, let's go all the way back to creation. He said, let's go back to Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In John's Gospel, he reaches back to that God in creation or before creation. He reaches back to that same God that spoke the worlds into existence. And he grabs a hold of that 
God in creation and thus pulls him into time. So by the time you get to John 1 and verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He got a hold of that God, pulled him into etern- from eternity into time. And the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 14, and the Word, and the Word, and the Word, the same Word that was in the beginning, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth John was saying first off and foremost I'm going to help you understand who Jesus really is in the face you see Jesus but in the flesh it was that same God that was in the beginning he said I want you to understand who Jesus really is in the beginning but then he continues to move on, not, not, not missing anything. The very most vital truths being relayed. We now go a little bit forward and you see that John not only tells us that that God that was in the beginning came into time, put himself in flesh. And we seen that only begotten father, only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth in the face of Jesus Christ. We go to John 4 and 24. He not only tells us what he did and who he was, but why he did it. Because in John 4 and 24, the Bible says that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But we lean heavily on the last part, but let's not forget the first part. God is a spirit. And Hebrews 9 and 22 says it like this, that in the Old Testament, almost all things were purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So if there is no blood to be shed, there is no there is no purchasing power to remit sin. So therefore, giving us the understanding that God is a spirit, and a spirit doesn't have blood. Thus, a spirit doesn't have the purchasing power to redeem nor remit sin. So that gives us the understanding of not only what Jesus did, but why Jesus did it. Because God in the beginning was a spirit that did not have blood. He did not have the purchasing power. So he stepped out of eternity. He stepped into time, took on a, took on a body to be the vessel for that blood so that when he would die on Calvary, he would shed and give us that purchasing power to redeem us. Because God did not send his little boy to do his job. God stepped down to do what only he could do. Because if God would have sent his little, listen, if God would have sent his little boy to come and die so that we could be remitted of our sins or have our sins washed away, if God would have sent his little boy, he would have contradicted his own word that says, if any man or anyone provide not for his own, especially of his own household, if he provide not for his own, he is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith for God to send somebody else to do his job job that's not him providing for his own that would have made him an infidel contradictory to his own word and he would have denied the faith so Jesus did not send his little boy to do his job but he came in the flesh with the purchasing power to redeem us from every sin 
But now that brings me to the text that I read you. It continues to flow forward. John is relaying not just on the surface stories about what Jesus did, but he was trying to get us to understand the underlying truths that are not seen when you focus in, but the underlying truths that are seen when you zoom out and you see the picture from eternity to time. You see in John chapter 8, Jesus now That word that was God in the beginning standing in the flesh now is speaking to those religious people, the Jews, trying to get them to see him for who he really was. Trying to show them something that they had never seen and something about him that they had never known even though they had followed him faithfully for hundreds of years. But now he's being seen of them in the flesh. Watch what the Bible says in John 8 and verse 56. He says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. He said, you're not even yet 50 years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? And we quickly pick up that there is a problem with sight. That Abraham, he rejoiced to see and he saw. But they said, hast thou seen Abraham? The focus quickly becomes sight because Jesus was trying to get them to see something that they were not yet ready or willing to see. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Before Abraham was, I am. Can you pull up for me Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14? Jesus was beginning to refer back to the God that they had followed so faithfully for so long. That same God that had brought them out. Jesus was referring to the Moses, Moses' God in the Old Testament. When Jesus, listen to me, when Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He was literally trying to give them his identity. He was literally saying that same God that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush, that same God that was hiding behind that burning bush, revealing himself to Moses through the burning bush that Moses said, Who do I say sent me when he went back to Egypt? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am he said that's who you tell them that I am tell them I am has sent you so what Jesus was literally doing right there in that story Jesus was literally trying to step out from behind the burning bush and reveal himself in the face of Jesus Christ he said you know that God that spoke to Moses back then I'm that God right now that same I am that was then is that same I am that is right before you now so literally Jesus stood stepped out from behind the burning bush. They knew him and received him as a God that could bring them out. They knew him back then. They followed him. They experienced his power, his deliverance. But now when Jesus tries to show them something they've never seen, as he steps out from behind that burning bush, watch what the Bible says. That when they saw, when he, I verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am then took they up stone. 
to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself. Even though he was still present, they could no longer see him. They refused. In that moment, they refused to see what God was trying to show them. And if you refuse what God is trying to show you, He'll thus blind your eyes to what He wants you to see. Because He stepped out of that burning bush and He says that same I am that was then, I am that God now in the faith. But they didn't want to receive that. So when they refused to see, Jesus took their sight. And the same can happen for us. That if we refuse to see what God is trying to now show us, He'll take your sight. He'll still be in the midst. But watch what, watch what I'm trying to get somewhere. Watch this now. Because then they took up stones and cast at him. But Jesus hid himself or withdrew himself from from sight because they rejected him and what he was trying to show them. And the Bible says, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And so many times those little chapters get in the way of the thought that God is trying to give to us. Because John 9 And one says, in the same motion, Jesus is turning away from a people that had rejected him. And in the same motion as it said, and going through the midst of them and so passed by. Verse nine, or chapter nine, verse one says, and as Jesus passed by. In one motion, pastor, Jesus is rejected by one people and he removes their sight. And so passed by turns to a people born blind. This is not just a miracle that Jesus did that we can shout about. But this is Jesus. This is the literal or the transition from law to grace. This is Jesus being rejected by the Jews and turning to the Gentiles, those that once had sight but refused to see. Jesus now, in the same motion of turning away from one, he turns to another, to a people born blind. I've got news for us today. We are that People, we are those ones that were born blind. I didn't know him, but I can know him now. I'm not that, I don't, my God. I was born in the dark, but thank God that when Jesus took the sight of one, he was willing to look out for another, trying to find somebody that's willing to receive we ought to be able to be thankful for the fact because somebody rejected him we now have the chance we now have the opportunity to have sight because somebody refused to see I'll be honest I'm not a cat person I know them pretty suits don't like cat hair either. I'll be honest. The devil's a cat. 
Is there any cat people in here? I ain't scared of none of you. I got the Holy Ghost. But I'm not a cat person. My, my wife, she grew up and her family is all cat people. Cat family, little cat family they are. And I'd go out there and, and they got cats climbing all over the place. And I'm just, I'm, I'll kind of nudge them away. I, I'm the kind, I play tricks on cats. I put tape on them and just see what they, they go like, you know. I don't torture them anything. I just play with them. But I'm not a cat person. I don't like cat hair. I hate having to get down and pray. And every time you get down to pray, you have to stand up talking in tongues and it ain't the Holy Ghost. I don't like cat. I don't like, I just, I just always been, I'm not, I'm more of a dog person, but we don't have a dog or a cat. We have kids and that keeps us busy. If you got grace to have animals, that's, that's your business. But I'm not a cat person. They were always cat. They've always got cat people. They come, the cats try to climb up next to me. And you know what I do with cat? I kind of just nudge them off. And they try, they try to get up on the table and get food. And I'm like, no, and I'll scoot them off the table and just, and I'll come to this understanding. The saying's true. That wherever there's somebody that's saying, scat cat. Wherever there's somebody saying, shoo, get out of here. Somewhere nearby, there's somebody saying, here, kitty, kitty. So what I'm saying is, you can, they said, the Jews, scat, cat, we don't want you. Get out of here, shoo. But wherever there's somebody that's saying, scat, cat, get out of here, there's always somebody right around the way that's willing to say, hey, here, kitty, kitty. And that's exactly what a people Born blind, a Gentile people that had never seen, that had never had sight, said. So in the same motion of Jesus turning from one, he turns to another. And that's the very reason why we can have grace today. That's the very reason why we can experience this dispensation called the church age. This is a picture of the church age. Now Jesus taking sight from one another, offering that sight to somebody that has never seen. This man that Jesus turns to had never seen blues. He had never seen greens. He had never seen pearl. He'd never had sight. He was born into the dark, never knowing light, never seeing a thing. But watch what happens. All of a sudden the disciples... Just cause, like Brother Godwin said, just because you're one of, one of the twelve don't mean you get it. Just because you're a disciple, just because you're here don't mean you understand. So they are all sitting around and they see this man that was born blind that would come to symbolize and represent us who are the Gentile nations. They turn around and they said, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. They said, Jesus, who messed up? Why he's going through what he's going through. Well, who, who, who messed up? Sin. And Jesus said, it's not because of sin. See, that's, that's one of our biggest obstacles to grace. Something starts going on. We just classify it. Oh, somebody messed up. Somebody sinned. Somebody's not doing right. 
Because when it doesn't happen like we want it to happen, we oftentimes try to look for fault. We start to try to find fault and place blame on something. But this dispensation of grace, they were born into dark because Jesus says to his disciples, he said, because, no, 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 not his parents, nor he that was, that was sin. No, it wasn't neither of them. The reason why he's in the dark, the reason why he's blind is because I'm about to make my works manifest in him. I was reserving him for a time and a period so I can show this world something that they've never seen. So he said, no, first in this dispensation of grace, you got to deal with that accusation, that voice of accusation. The first thing that comes to your mind when things don't happen the way you want it to happen, sin. Somebody messed up, somebody did wrong. No, 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 no. He said that the works of God, he's saying this blindness that they are, uh, it's a platform for me to work like I've never worked because there had never been anybody that had ever been born blind and received their sight. But then what Jesus does next, it gets me, it's the process of maturity. The process growing in grace to receive that sight. Now Jesus says, I'm going to use this man to do something that's never been done before. I'm about to do a miracle like the world has never experienced. And now, while they're talking about this blind man, the blind man, I believe, overheard. You ever come to church and it feels like the preacher knows right where you're at? And God's talking to you? And that preacher's talking about you? You ever been there? That's what that blind man was going through. So that blind man just got a word. I'm about to do something with you that's never been done before. I'm about to use you even though you're in the dark about it. I'm about to do something with you that's never been done before. Because everything is a platform for God. So now you get a word. You ever got a word? You ever came to church and got a word? He got a word then all of a sudden. Here's what Jesus does. You ready for your miracle? Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to show you. Here's, here, I'm going to give you a little demonstration. Close your eyes. You too, pastor. You close your eyes. Here's your miracle. It's coming. Goes like this. Jesus reaches down, gets some mud, and then... See, that proves my point. We want the miracle, but sometimes we don't always like how he does it. So he hocks a big old loogie in this mud ball. And then what's he do? He puts it on the blind man's eyes. You can open your eyes now. Some of you are getting too detailed with it, all right? But he takes that, watch now. He takes that mud, puts it on that blind man's eyes, and then says, go wash. Now, first off, I ain't been saved that long. But if you spit in my face, I don't know you. You spit in my face and you tell me what to do. I ain't been saved that long. You spit in my face and you tell me what to do. You go wash. But that man not understanding everything was still willing to submit himself to the instructions of the man that just spoke to him. He makes his way stumbling across the city and finds his way to that pool and begins to 
And all of a sudden, when he begins to wash in obedience to the word, all of a sudden, he begins to see blues. He begins to see greens. He begins to see things he'd never seen before. All because of when he got a word that God of heaven said, wash. But here's the progression. Listen, I know I'm just doing a little Bible study today. But when you get a word, sometimes things Got to get worse. I want to be nice saying sometimes. This is the progression. This is growing in grace. This is the maturity and how it works. Watch. You get a word and you might get excited, but next comes the mud. But what's the meaning of the mud? The mud is when that blind man, he's already in the dark. Why do you have to put mud on his eyes? But Jesus knew that it was, notice Jesus did not say, if you go wash, I'll do a miracle for you. He didn't say, if you go wash, I'll let you see things you've never seen. No, because Jesus knows us enough that sometimes he cannot motivate us with a miracle. But if sometimes he can't motivate us with a miracle, he knows how to motivate us with a mess. So when you get a word and things get worse, oftentimes it's because Jesus knows he can't motivate us with things we've never seen and things we've never known. But if he can make a mess where we are, that might just be the motivating factor to move us into what God has for us to move into. So when you get a word and things get worse, why? Because that blind man was born into the dark, born into blindness. He'd learned to live with less than God ultimately had for him. Do you understand that sometimes we've learned to live with less than what God has promised us? We've learned to live with less love and less what God has, we've learned to live with less. We've learned to cope with the dark. We've learned to cope with things that, not having things that God said we would have. So he'll make messes where we are to motivate us for where we're going. Because think about it. Think about Deuteronomy 32 and 10. He said, remember when I led you through that waste howling wilderness? Talking about the people of God. He said, do you remember what I brought you out of and what I brought you through? And then he goes on to say, as an eagle stirreth up her nest. He's saying, this is how I brought you out of Egypt and through a waste howling wilderness. Watch. Because in, in, in Egypt, when they had that exodus, everyone, every Jew that was in Egypt at that time of the exodus, every one of them had been born in Egypt. Not one of them had ever seen a promised land. Not one of them had set foot into Canaan land that God had promised them. They were all born blind. But then, after years of slavery, after carrying the weight of Egyptian bondage, thus Moses comes from his burning bush experience and finds the people. He gets the elders together and he says, get ready, because God's about to bring us out He said, and he gives them a word, get ready because God's about to do what he's been planning all these years. 
He gets the elders together. And the Bible said that the people knew that they had been visited. So they got a word that said they're coming out. But then all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, catches wind of it. And Pharaoh says, nuh-uh. And the Bible said that Pharaoh took away their straw from making bricks. Because they would take straw and clay, straw and mud, and they would mingle it together. And the straw was the binding agent that held everything together. But when they got a word, all of a sudden, Pharaoh said, Nuh-uh, you're not leaving, and takes their straw away, and things got worse. Because when they took away the straw that took away the binding agent, that means they got a word, then all of a sudden, the next day, everything fell apart. And they were left with mud. But if that would have never happened, they would have stayed where they were. If things wouldn't have got worse and the mud wasn't present to motivate them to move and say, man, there's got to be something else beyond slavery. There's got to be something else beyond what I'm living in and settling for. There's got to be some. It was that blind man, just like the Israelites, that they would have stayed in their blindness. They would have stayed in the dark unless things got worse because that blind man, he knew how to live and cope with the dark. He knew how to live and cope with his children and being backslid. He knew how to cope with not having the promises of God, but just living with less. He knew how to do that. But then when Jesus comes along and he makes mud and he spits and he puts that mud on that blinded, already blinded eye, he was literally motivating him, making a mess where he was. Because the blind man could cope with the dark. But he said... Once things got more confusing and more uncomfortable, he said, man, something's got to give. I guess I'll wash. You know what the mud was for? It gave them a reason to wash. And that's where I believe we found ourselves. We've got words, we've got prophecies, we've got promises, and things. I mean, we've got all kinds of things that God has promised us. But God knows our nature, and He knows that sometimes to motivate us, He can't give us prophecies, but He's got to give us problems. Because we don't understand the prophecies, but we understand problems. We've learned to live with what less than what God has for us. So God will allow problems for us to throw our hands up in the air and say God something's got to give I can live with my babies being gone but please don't let my body get sick and then when things happen we say man something's got to give and then he went and washed but when he began to wash something's got to give and then he seen all of a sudden blues and greens and things he'd never seen. You try to motivate somebody that's never seen anything. Try to explain blue to somebody that's never had sight. It don't work. But Deuteronomy 32, and I want you to bring this up. Let me show you the meaning of the mud. And it may be a different angle that maybe might help the church. 
Deuteronomy 32 and 11 is where Jesus was talking about me bringing you out. You were in, you were Israelites, you were Jews, but you were born blind. But I'm going to bring you out. But watch, as an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, because that little eaglet, when it's first hatched, it'll come out and it's a comfort, comfortable place. A place where you can grow, a place where you can mature, a place where you can learn to get strength enough from the sustenance that that mama eagle will bring back those little bitty worms and mama will come back and give you the worms that you, because the eagle when it first comes out in that nest and it's so nice and cozy and cuddly, all that little eaglet knows is it's got a mouth. That's all it knows. I got a mouth and mama feeds me. And you get stronger and stronger. Then you begin to mature to a place. See, that's like when we come to Jesus and we come to God, we get what we need to get so that we can become strong and our faith can begin to grow and we can begin to grow in grace. And we come and we let the the ministers feed us with the word of God. And we come and we are fed because all we know is we have a mouth. In other words, we have a need. But then as you begin to grow, that mama eagle will come and she'll start to remove some of the comfortable stuff, some of the leaves, and things will start to get uncomfortable. And the sticks of that nest will begin to manifest and begin to poke those little eaglets so those little eaglets will have to step up on their little talons. And now they realize that they have talon, talons or feet to stand instead of just a mouth to eat. This is the progression of maturity. First you come and you have a need and God meets that need till you can stand on your own two feet. And when you begin to stand, see that's where the church has been. You've learned to eat. You've learned to receive the word and have your needs met. But then it matures to a place where you've got to understand that you've got two feet and you've now got to be able to stand. And this church after the last little while, you've learned how to stand. You're not just here to have your needs met and you're not here just to eat and get your own word so you can do your own thing. No, you've learned how to stand. You've stood when buildings fell down. You've stood when people walked away. You've stood when things fell apart. You stood. But now, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, that final progression is when that nest is completely disrupted and she tears out every feather, she tears out every, every leaf and now there's nothing left in that, that nest that has made it comfortable. And that's when the mother eagle, all of a sudden she starts going like this. As an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young. In other words, first it starts with a mouth, you having a need and God meeting that need. But then you learn how to stand in your faith. But then when things get completely uncomfortable and that mother eagle starts making a mess where you are. God help me right now. Starts tearing that nest. I wish I had a box of Kleenex. I'd start throwing them everywhere. 
That mother eagle starts making that mess around that nest everywhere. Every feather, every leaf, everything is completely disrupted. And then mama eagle says, no, you don't just have a mouth. You don't just have feet to stand. But she starts going like this saying, hey, you've got also wings to fly. So what mama is saying when the mess is made, that's what God is saying. That You've got more than a mouth. You've got more than need. You've got more than feet to stand but you've got wings to fly and I'm telling you that this church has reached a maturity where God is saying it's time to fly it's time for somebody to understand the mess is telling you the mud is telling you you've got more in you than you realize you've got more to offer than you understand but if you would just go beyond the mess and you would begin to wash so let's just stop for a moment there's revelation in this house father You got a word? You got a word? You got prophecies? And all of a sudden, people start fighting. People start bickering at one another. You've got a word. Finances, money get funny. I heard that saying somewhere. People leave. So I don't think I can. I'm just not getting fed there. You've got more than a mouth. Are you just too lazy to stand? Or you don't know you have wings to fly? All of a sudden you got this mess all over. Oh yeah, you've got a word. But you've got a mess too. But this whole time, you can either focus on the mess or understand it's either the mess or understand that I've got wings to fly. I'm about to see blues. You can see the mess or you can see the miracle. But God... Somebody, you got to understand, God is about to unlock something in me. God is about to unlock. I'm about to release my wings. To... But let me bring this into perspective real fast. Because when you get a word and things get worse... Wash. But what does that mean? That pool that Jesus sent them to was the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam, by interpretation, was it was called scent. Should I pause? Should I go there? But that pool, that water, 
to the Jews during their Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews would go to that pool. And with their vessels, they would, they would dip their vessels and they would get big vats of water and they would go back to the temple with shouting and with dancing because to them that water wasn't just water, but to them at the Feast of Tabernacles, that water, that pool that that man was instructed to go to and to wash in, that pool, that water to them represented worship. So when you get a word, And things get worse. Even though I don't understand it, even though it don't make sense sometimes, when you get a word and things start to fall apart, that's when you need to throw your hands up in the air and say, God, even though I don't understand it, I know you're still on the throne. Even though it don't make sense and I can't see the outcome of it, I don't know how it's going to pan out. I don't know how it's going to... I may not agree. And even if I don't agree... And when you begin to worship, that's when you'll begin to see what only God can show you. When you begin to worship and wash, God will take care of the mess. The meth is just the, the mess is just the method to get us to maturity so we can see. Why don't we just take a break right now and lift our hands? The Holy Ghost ain't done, but we're going to worship right now. You got a mess right now? You confused? You need direction? You need God to show you something? You just throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I love you. I don't understand. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, but I love you. I trust you, God. But watch, that's not where it stops. That's just the natural progression of the maturity into grace. You get a word, things get worse. Worship. But then this blind man, he begins to see. And when he begins to see, all of a sudden, he didn't receive a miracle. He became the miracle. But the Bible says, but the Jews, they didn't believe concerning this man that had been born blind. This man that had received his sight. So what they did to try to discredit the man, to discredit the miracle, so they could attack the man, Christ Jesus. They went and got his parents. 
we don't believe you were born blind. We're going to go get your mom and dad. And they went and got the parents. The Bible says that Jews did not believe concerning him that had been born blind until they went to go get his parents. I'm going to go get your dad. What does that mean? I'm going to go get your dad. And they went to find that blind man's mother and father. And they were going to use his parents as a means to discredit him as a miracle. So that they could make the ministry of Jesus invalid. So they said, we're going to get the parents. We don't believe he was born blind. We're going to go get his parents. And then they brought the parents. And what means the religious folk tried to use to discredit him as a miracle. Ultimately backfired. Watch, watch. You ready? You ready for this? We don't believe he was born blind. What? Is this your son? They said, yep, that's our boy. And he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth? I don't know. All your parents can do. Just like the enemy, just like those religious Jews will try to use your parents or your past or where you came from to try to discredit you as a miracle. But all those parents could say, here's grace. When your past is able to say, he ain't what he used to be. When where you came from is able to say, he ain't like he used to be. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what took place. All I know, he ain't what he used to be. He's not like he once was. Because the devil will always try to use where you came from. He'll always try. So my pastor always used to say it like this. You want to know if you're growing? How many would like to know if you're growing? He said, are you the same person you were six months ago? Well, I've been at church 40 years. I said, are you the same person you were six months ago? If you are. But those parents stood up and said about that blind man, I don't know about the methods and I don't know about the man. All that I can attest to is that's my boy and he's not what he used to be. And thank God that's what grace can say about my life. That hey, I don't know. Hey, there's people in my life. They said, I don't know what, what that preacher preached. I don't know what methods he used. It don't matter because that boy used to be addicted. That boy used to be depressed. That boy used to... But he ain't, he ain't, he ain't what he used to be. And I'm telling you, you don't need a pretty argument. You don't need a theological thesis. All you need is, I ain't what I used to be. That's the beauty of grace. But then, this is the last part. Musicians begin to make your way. But now, the last thing. The last thing. They said, he is of age. Symbolic to the church age. 
It's the power to change and take a life. But then he is of age. Ask him. And now the same mouth that once was only there to receive. Now is validated by a past that says they ain't what they used to be. And now that mouth that was once only there to receive is now becoming useful. And they come to that blind man and they say, they said, tell us what happened. They said, give glory to God. This man's a sinner. Because they were fussing about the methods Jesus employed. They were fussing about the man, Christ Jesus, not about God. They believed in God, but the man that had been employed. The methods and the man. You can argue about the methods. You can argue about the men. But there's some folks in here that you could stand up right now and you could say, you could argue about the church's methods. You can argue about the ministries. Kevin Breckenridge, come here. You can argue about the methods, the ministry. You can argue about all kinds of things. Like that blind man, when they came to him, give glory to God, this man's a sinner. He said, whether this man be a sinner or no, I don't know. You know what that blind man literally said? It worked for me. It worked for me. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Elizabeth, it worked for me. Let's all stand right now. Can we do that? In a moment, I'm about to do an altar call. But I'm going to do an altar call for the church. Listen. For those that have forgotten... That the fact that you're here is a miracle. We've squabbled, we've argued long enough. You need to remember what a miracle it is that you're here. 
It was last May in 2016 that I was privileged to be able to go down to New Orleans and preach at a church. And when I was there, I got to meet one of their saints, one of their elder faithful saints. That who had 15 minutes into the message, 15 minutes into the message, he fell over on the pew and died. And for 20 minutes, he didn't have a pulse. In 20 minutes, not one breath. They called the ambulance. The paramedics came. They took him out. The church began to pray over this man that had been such a pillar and a faithful man of God in the house. And while he's in the ambulance, pastor, the, he was, the pastor went with him and was just literally over him, just praying, Oh God, you can't take him now. You can't. And after 20 minutes of no breath, after 20 minutes of no heartbeat, all of a sudden his chest began to go up and down and breath began to come back into his lungs. And God literally, now don't clap, don't nut, just listen. And that man literally came back from death. And after a little while he began to open his eyes and he was able to see and he he looked over to the pastor and he said, Pastor, he said, what happened? What's going on? Not really. He's now in an ambulance and the paramedics are around and taking all of his, his, his stats or whatever they call. And he's looking around. Pastor, what happened? And he tried to break it to him as easy as possible and just, well, he said, you, you, you died. And all of a sudden, that elder faithful saint, saint began to cry. He said, he said, my God. He said, I'm so sorry, pastor. He said, I didn't mean to mess up the message. And that pastor looked at him and said, mess up the message. He said, you are the message. Antioch, don't, please don't forget. Please don't forget. Sorry, pastor, I didn't mean to mess up the message. Mess up the message, church. You are the message. You are the miracle. Somewhere along the line, we forgot. We forgot what Jesus has done for us. We forgot that we are the miracle, just that we're here. And God is reaching for somebody. Where are the miracles? Where are the blind eyes? Where are the deaf ears? If you've received the Holy Ghost, that is the blind seeing. That is the deaf hearing. That is the lame. But what I felt for this service, what I felt for this service, some of you have truly forgot about what it was like when you first made your way to a pool. Some of you forgot what it felt like when you were washed. But today God's giving us an invitation as a whole to come back to that pool 
and to wash away the mess, to wash away everything that has blinded us from seeing that we're the message and we are the miracle. So now I'm asking you as the body, no more arguments. No more squabbling amongst ourselves trying to see and understand. No, but somebody that will just step out of their pew and say, It's been a while since I've truly worshipped. Would you come right now all over this place as a conglomerate whole? Would you come? Come on. Grab somebody by the hand and lead them to that pool. Come on, grab somebody by the hand and come lead them to a pool. Say, I've got to see it. I've got to see what God said. Come on, that's it. All over this house. Come on, beautiful. And when you get here, I want you to just throw your hands in the air. And begin to worship God. I don't understand everything. I don't know what you're asking me to do, but God, I've come to worship. We're coming together right now. That's it. Let your voice out. Just the fact that He came to us that we're born blind. Just the fact that we could see I don't want to reject what he's trying to show me. I don't want to reject the move that God's now making. Do you remember when you first washed? on that shit mix faith right now like pastor said
Yeah.
Aleluia! Aleluia! Oh, thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Aleluia! 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 Oh, thank you, Jesus! Aleluia! Aleluia! In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! Oh! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're not praying, those of you that would, I want you just to give, let, let me finish before you start. I want you to give the Lord thanks, but I want you not to just give the Lord thanks for speaking to us. I want you to thank the Lord for speaking to you. I want you to make it personal. I want you to make it not only an expression of thanksgiving, but a demonstration of faith that you have spoken to me today, God. Would you do that? Come on, lift your hands, close your eyes if you would, and would you just express that? God, I thank you that you have spoken to me today. Whoever else you've talked to, whoever else has received, that's between them and you, but I want to thank you for talking to me today. Thank you for Rhema. Thank you for the fresh word from you God I receive it I lay hold of it today God in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus hallelujah 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 if you're still praying and you want to continue please do so you need to go or you want to go. Thank you for being here today.